sex talk. Derek and Miley. Cause sexuality is tough. And okay, sexist isn't good enough. No. Sex talk with Derek and Miley. Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining me with Sex Talk with Erica Miley. Erica Miley here, and I have a wonderful guest with me today. Maha, would you like to introduce yourself? Hi, Erica. I'm really excited about our chat today. So yes, like you said, I'm Maha. I'm originally from Lebanon, uh, grew up in Beirut mostly, did my, my PhD and my training in London in psychology and specialized in psychosexual and relationship therapy. And I was practicing in Lebanon for a couple of years. And then I moved to Dubai, where I was working there for around five years, mainly with individuals and couples who are experiencing sexual and or relationship difficulties. And then the last few years, I met my current husband, and we are in New York at the moment. So he's from New York. So he moved here around a year ago. And now I'm here. And uh, we got married not too long ago. And yeah, I'm transitioning from Dubai to New York. So it's been a fun and exciting few months. We have a puppy. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Let's see. Go from such a two different places. I feel. I feel you. Not. Not as far. I didn't have yeah. to go as far. Going from Washington State to Florida, yeah. but I feel you on the complete change of mm-hmm. weather in particular. I imagine. Oh, oh yeah. I mean, the cold and the snow and stuff isn't too foreign for me because in Lebanon we have snow in the mountains, and when I lived in London, it was freaking cold in the winter, <laughs> obviously. But the level of cold here is slightly different. <laughs> Yes, right. You know, still adjusting. <laughs> I imagine <laughs> for sure. Yeah, we're but it's a great here, city. Down here in Florida, where like I see all my friends back in Washington, and they're all putting on their sweaters and their flannel, oh. and I'm like, it's like <laughs> ninety sometimes still. <laughs> Wow. You. So I'm just nerding out at the, the course your career has taken. And I'm just, I'm so excited to talk with you today. And one of the things that we wanted to focus on mm-hmm. in this episode is how to really start on a good foot mm-hmm. with a healthy relationship. I yeah. mean, I know you and I talked about this before, before we started recording is that relationships that really think about how to begin are more successful. We see this with our clients. We see this with with people that we've we've worked with in the past. And that was one of the big things you and I wanted to talk about today. So if you got your hands on, this is like the dream world, right? If you got your hands on a couple and they're like in those first few months, what would you express to them? How could they really start those core elements of a healthy relationship? That is like an ideal scenario for me. Right, seriously. right, right. <laughs> like, oh, come all of yes, you come seriously. to therapy before it. I really wish people would do that more often in the early stages. That is definitely a message I'm trying to push for newly committed couples. I think what I'd love to say to them, first of all, I'd like to share some of the common patterns that I've observed in my clinical experience so that I can not necessarily warn them, but teach them how to be aware of these things and how to work through them. 
Uh, and one of the most common patterns, for example, and I'm sure you've seen this a lot or maybe even experienced it yourself. I sure have. Is is this pursuer distancer dynamic where Absolutely. Yeah, one person in a relationship is the kind of person that wants to talk, wants to resolve things, wants to confront things, you know? And then the other person is the avoidant type that withdraws when there's conflict. Yes. So, yeah, so what happens is one, you know, the the pursuer gets frustrated because they're trying to resolve things and their partner is withdrawing. And then the person who's avoidant gets, feels overwhelmed and suffocated because their partner is constantly trying to, you know, talk about things and, and resolve things. So then the distance grows, you know, further and deeper. And then the disconnection, unfortunately, gets bigger. You know, that's what happens with a lot of couples that have come to see me where many years later, so much resentment has built up. Yes. Um, and anger and, you know, a loss of connection where we really have to repair all of that. And yeah, it's and like we, this we, massive yeah. amount of time where this this dynamic has has just completely torn down that trust, that that initial trust that mm-hmm. it then takes so much time to rebuild, it seems. Exactly. Exactly. So that's one of the main things I would, quote unquote, warn couples about and and I'd like to teach them the appropriate skills to avoid that, or even if it happens, to to not let it happen to that extent where it really creates a huge gap and disconnection in the relationship or a lot of pain. You know, um, they might never become the complete opposite of what they right? are, obviously, <laughs> but to be able to at least meet somewhere halfway where most things get resolved or at least they feel heard and understood. Yeah. Or they feel like they can actually intervene on these patterns they've created from the, for themselves. I think, I think that's one of those things that I see a lot too, that I'm, I'm sure you have too, that, that it's these patterns many times come from well before these two. Oh were together. yes, exactly. Or multiple, because I know most of my listeners know, and you know that I work with polyamorous folks and and these patterns go across no matter what type Mm, of relationship. mm, mm. Yeah, it's it's very common. It's not like particular to one type of relationship or one gender. You know, people would think that it's the woman usually who wants to talk and talk and the man avoids. I mean, that might be a bit more common, but it happens the other way around too. Absolutely. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So one of the main underlying emotions, I guess, would be fear. They're both afraid, but just expressing it differently. So they're probably both afraid of, they might have different fears, but for example, the pursuer might be afraid of losing their partner, not feeling heard, not being wanted. And then the avoidant partner may be afraid of losing themselves. So, you know, if you, if you work through that fear and teach them how to give each other the space, but at the same time, meet each other where the other person needs them to meet them, you know, then their fears might not actually realize, hopefully. (laughs) Right. So if you had a, like a concrete, maybe (laughs) I, I always wish I could give folks like a, a, here's an infograph of the 10 things you could do before you start a relationship. (laughs) But if you had like a, if you had like one or two questions, a person could ask maybe a potential partner, what, what do you think? What, what should they, what should they be looking for? Hmm. That's an interesting question. I think one of the important questions would be, what are the three most important things for you in a relationship? You know, like what are your core values and needs in a relationship? 
Yes. Oh my gosh. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> I, I'm sure this has happened in, in, in your office that you're talking with a couple and you realize they have never had the conversation about, oh, do we want to have a family? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And they've yeah. been together yeah. for five years. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That's just, that's a huge topic, obviously, but even less obvious subjects haven't been spoken about in many years of being together. It could be as simple as like when I'm upset, I need this. Like for example, you know, personal space is important to me or you being available when I need you is important to me, (laughs) you know, or physical affection is important to me because that's my love language. Yeah. So I think, yeah, definitely the, you know, your core values or your, your, main needs in a relationship need to be discussed. I think how do you deal with conflict is an important yes. one too. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I think that's one of those things that I wish we could like when you get like a, a marriage license or mm. you decide mm-hmm. that you want to be to move in together, that it did come with a pamphlet that said, okay, ask each other these questions. <laughs> yeah. And one of them in particular would be about conflict. How do you fight? Yeah. When I work with clients, I say, okay, what are your rules of engagement? And not engagement getting married. What are your rules? war. And I think that is an incredibly important question to be asking because those, those things again, come from before you were trying to date this person. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And most couples find these things out through experiencing them together, but they don't always learn them. They just experience them and then, you know, feel hurt by them or, take it personally or get angry or, you know, it escalates. So, you know, they, they don't, they don't understand how their partner works or functions and what they need. So yeah, it doesn't go very well often, unfortunately. When you think about teaching relationship skills, one of the big ones is boundaries. And what would you say to a client or clients that are coming into therapy for the first time, how they could really start to establish boundaries together? Yeah, that is a great subject to talk about because Unintentionally, one of the most common subjects or skills I end up working on with most of my clients is assertiveness. And I think that's very linked to boundaries and the whole concept of authenticity, which I'm a very firm believer of. And I think that's one of the core values in, for me in relationships, and I think should be for most people, that both partners need to be authentic and their true selves. And that includes, you know, learning to be assertive. So I think the first step is, is identifying, you know, being more in in touch with your own feelings and identifying when something makes you uncomfortable or something hurts you or makes you angry or irritates you, or there's something that you need. So obviously you need to be much more connected with your own feelings and your needs. And when you do recognize them, I'm sure you know this, you know, using the I language to communicate your needs. So, you know, when, when you do this, I feel frustrated or I feel sad or I'm afraid of being alone. So I would like you to, or I would appreciate if you could, or I need this. And it's very hard for a lot of people to do that, to say no to things as well. And that's, that's what I would start with learning to say no before even making requests for what they need. Cause I find that that's easier. It's an easier place for people to start and maybe making a list. So, so this is something that I, you know, I do with clients is I ask them to make a list of 10 things that they find difficult saying no to. 
starting with the least difficult to the most difficult. And then they pick, like the first week, they would start with number one, which is the least difficult. And when that opportunity comes up, they would say no. Firmly, but gently, you know, there's a firm and kind way of saying it, not an aggressive way. (laughs) 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 But a lot of times what happens is because they haven't been assertive most of their life, when they're starting to be assertive, they they come off as aggressive because there's so much built up, you know, frustration. Oh, I finally said it out loud. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, assertiveness is definitely a skill that's linked to boundaries, I think. And it's, it's so common that so many people don't know how to be assertive and, and need to learn. And it's, it's not surprising, to be honest, because it's not something that we learn. Like no one has taught us to be assertive growing up. It's not an innate thing. It's something that we need to actually develop. So, yeah, so learning to be assertive, you know, like honoring your needs and feelings and, and taking them seriously. Mm-hmm. I think that's incredibly important, especially when you're wanting to have a sexual relationship with someone. Oh, absolutely. Being able to have a conversation that starts with your needs and wants. Yeah. And then when you're ready to translate that into a sexual relationship, using those same skills then. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's so common that, you know, couples find it difficult to actually express what they what they enjoy, what they don't enjoy when right. it comes to sex. And they've been together for years even. Yes. I think it is very much linked to those first two things you were talking about, that assertiveness of being able to even say what your need is yeah, yeah. and then being able to say it in a way that you can communicate it, that the other person will hear it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I know that you've probably seen this too. Couples spend a lot of time fighting about nothing mm-hmm. to cover up these things, these needs, these wants, yeah. The, yeah. the boundary creation. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. A lot of times it's just about wanting to be heard or understood. It's not about the actual subject they're fighting about. They're not looking for the fix. Yeah, exactly. I'm sure you've seen it, the YouTube video about the nail. Yes. 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 (laughs) I'll drop that into the show notes because I think that's a really good example. Yeah, it is. It is. It's a really funny video. But yeah, it definitely represents what we're talking about here. Yeah, but when it comes to sex, unfortunately, what ends up happening is if you're not assertive or authentic, a lot of times sex will end up feeling like a chore, like a task. Right. You know, and that's when people stop enjoying it and stop wanting it. And it just becomes mechanical and it loses its sensuality and its enjoyment and connection and, and just becomes a mechanical task. Right. I, one of the things that I remember I was reading in some of Dr. Gottman's work, those who are listening, Dr. Gottman is one of our probably most prolific relationship therapists and researchers. And he he talks about this authenticity part that, that Maha is talking about is that we need to know you are who you say you are and that you will do what you say you will do. And that all the parties in a, in a relationship need this for the relationship to function. Mm. Yeah, you develop trust. You know your partner and they know you. Like They can rely on you. You're going to be consistent. Yes. And it's much more connected to what you were talking about, values. Sometimes when people, I think, hear the word values, they think that we have the same religion or we mm. have... And that's not necessarily the case. It's no, these, these deep held beliefs that you believe about yourself, that you value certain things like loyalty or most of us trust. Exactly. And what are those things and how do they play out in your relationship? 
Yeah. What do they look like to you? Because again, loyalty or trust can be very different things for different people. Absolutely. Or do I want to be monogamous or do I not want to be monogamous? Yeah. Those types of questions go directly back to the to those deep held values. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So talk to me a little bit. I know you've got some retreats and things coming up. I want to make sure everybody knows about that. Ooh, well, we don't have any dates set yet, <laughs> but my husband and I are working on starting to offer couples retreats. I know. I'm really excited. We're both really excited. But what we'd like to do is set them up in different locations, ideally somewhere outdoors, fun, and incorporate some nature and adventure in them as well. Uh, but basically, the concept is that we both, he's a physical therapist and he works in the fitness industry as well. So he's very much on the physical well-being wellness side. And I'm on the emotional relational wellness side. So we're like, let's combine our strengths and passions and, you know, send the message to couples. We both want to encourage people to take a preventative, proactive approach rather than seek help in crisis after years that something has been developing. So, you know, he works with a lot of injuries. People get injured and then they seek physical therapy or rehab or whatever. And I work with people who have emotional injuries and, you know, come for help for that. So we're like, it's frustrating when people don't seek help sooner because it's so much easier to address then. And we want people to thrive. We want people to, to have the best relationships and the best lives that they can have, not just fix quote unquote things. So we want to you know, have a few days where we're incorporating both physical activities and mindful practice activities where they learn how to strengthen their bond they learn how to keep each other and themselves physically healthy and learn to have fun together as well. Yeah. I, I love this idea. I <laughs> think it's great. I mean, I think many of us, not just in the mental health field, I think this goes for medical doctors and, yeah. and physical therapists. We would rather be like the maintainers, like the folks that change your oil rather than when you come in because you need a complete clutch replacement. Like we, we, yeah. we would much rather. <laughs> you know, that's a great point. And I, it really frustrates me. I'm sure it frustrates you too, that people don't see therapy or, or their relationships even as something like your car, you know, your car, you take care of it. You take it to maintenance mm -hmm. every, I don't know how many months or miles or, and, and you take care of it. You don't just leave it until it breaks and then you go fix it. So why don't people do the same things for their health? and their relationships, their emotional and physical well-being. Absolutely, completely agree with you. That's the thing, like daily small practices can go such a long way and they're not that difficult. They're not that time consuming. It's actually an investment because you're, you're not going to end up spending so much time and money later down the line trying to fix things. And we would love to fix all of the problems and have people never come back to us and we'll go yeah. into a different field. Sure. Great. That, fantastic. We've solved yeah. all the problems, but yeah. that's the thing, a relationship and a sex life. And even when you're on your own as a single person, all of that requires a certain level of care and concern throughout your lifespan. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I think that's wonderful. And when their dates are up, I'll make sure everybody, how do folks find you in the world? We have a new website now. It's www.bondbetter.com. And we will definitely update the website whenever we're, we're having a, an upcoming retreat. 
but they can find information about me on there. My husband Bo's information is being developed at the moment <laughs> <laughs> under construction. Yeah, but that's the website that they can access and find all the information and email. If they want to get in touch with me, they can just send an email that's on the website. That's fantastic. Yeah. That's wonderful. I'll make sure all of that's in the show notes so that folks can find you. I Thank appreciate you. you coming to chat with me today. Thank you. It was so super fun. And folks, stay through to the end. I'll make sure that every, and if you want to check out the show notes, they're on my website and all of that, ericamiley.com, all of that will be available there. So again, thank you. And I hope everybody has a fantastic week. Thank you too. Thanks for listening, folks. Please rate and review on iTunes. That helps this podcast get found. If you leave a five-star review, let me know about it on any social media and I'll shout you out on the podcast. You can find my website at ericamiley.com. You can find me on Facebook, the gram, and Twitter. See y'all next time.